You're listening to a podcast from the Media Motel. Coming up this week in episode 346, FOMO, the fear of missing out. Oh, hello, I mustn't miss that. Now, Amazon want to access your house, even when you're not there. Are you okay with that? Because all I'm saying is demon seed. And does music television always have to be old and grey? It's all coming up after Sean Colvin and Sonny came home. Good. 
seems like quite a cheery song until you realise it's about a woman who burns her house down to be rid of her <laughs> not demons. Not notably a cheery activity. No, not really, no. Uh, however, number seven on the Billboard Hot 100, number 29 over here in the UK in 1997, and Grammy Awards for Record of the Year and Song of the Year in 1998, uh, Sean Colvin and Sonny Came Home. Mm, I like that. Hmm. Welcome to the podcast from the Parish Council. It's episode 346. I'm Terence Dackham and Juliet, the dice was loaded from the start. Oh, and I my bet... maths teacher used to do that all the time and it was annoying then and it's annoying now. And you exploded into my heart and I forget, I forget the movie song when you're going to realise it was just the time was wrong. Juliet Harris. Hello, thank you. Yes, I am. Um, I used to get goaded um, mm. by uh, my actually quite nice maths teacher at school. And when I left, he wrote in my in my leaving book, Juliet. I'm afraid the dice were loaded oh, from the start, always. And actually, it did make me giggle. So I mean, been slightly grumpy about that. I apologise. Hello, good morning, everyone. As it is here. Never a big, I've never been a big fan of dire straits. So oh, you see, my dad loves them, so oh, I quite like them by, right, by extension. Right, and also some. One of my friends, the other, a few weeks ago, um, mm. what, what, you know, the, what is it? The one, you know, I want my MTV. What's that? That one? Money for nothing. Nothing, money for nothing came on the radio, and I sort of said, "Oh, money for nothing," and. Um, it was pointed out to me the lyrics on that. Uh, so, you know, it, it, well, they're vile, mis- they're they're vile really misogynist, horrible lyrics. Oh, I was, and use of the word faggot as well as a slur. That's yeah, right. Yeah, uh, I thought yeah. you see, in my naivety, this was in the pre-internet days when you didn't really know lyrics. I thought it was money for nothing and the checks, as in C H E Q U E S. The yes, checks I for free, it for but it's ages. it's um, chicks, isn't it? So yes. You know. Although my friend at Oof. school thought it was chips. <laughs> and in the potato-based food stuff, which I always quite liked, the idea of and for us, because we thought it was that for a bit. That was living the dream. Wow, you're a famous person, you get chips for free. I mean, that is still my goal in life, I think, for someone to give me some chips and me not have to, to not have to pay for them. I think part of my, my reason, well, apart from the aforementioned and that awful Juliet quote, um, are that... <laughs> when, yeah, I'm when, sorry that I've ruined yet. No, no, not at all. When... Um, CDs were first introduced. Yeah. Whenever you, you, you went into a, a music shop, uh, they were always because they thought, "Oh, this was so brilliantly produced." It was always that oh, Dire Straits yeah. album. Yeah, that they My were playing as a sampler. For... Vinyl, but we and I did mm. buy it for him on CD originally, but I did feel I was part of the problem when I did eventually get it for him on CD. <laughs> FOMO, F-O-M-O, sounds like it could be a rude acronym, but in fact stands for Fear of Missing Out, uh, described in my dictionary as anxiety that an exciting or interesting event may be currently happening elsewhere. Obviously, that doesn't apply to this podcast. There is no... no, (laughs) This is the event. This is what's going on right here. Excellent. You're much better off staying here. Uh, But this FOMO business dominates my life, really. Um, (laughs) I like you sounds like John Humphreys there. This FOMO business is indeed. Uh, one example of FOMO uh, absolutely domineering, influencing my life to the ridiculous uh, lengths is mm. the National Lottery here in the UK. Now, <laughs> the, the first draw for the UK National Lottery was in November 1994. I and can't believe where the time goes. I remember it being launched. It's, it's enormous. I know. And I selected six numbers that first week based upon my age at the time um, and house number, that sort of thing. 
Yes. Now, I've had those numbers every single oh week gosh. since then. November Even though you have presumably moved and aged since. Uh, very much so. 23 years on, um, and because of FOMO, I just can't escape the certainty <laughs> in my mind that the first week I would forget or just give up on these six numbers, then they would definitely come up as the jackpot of five million quid and I would miss out. So it's an obsession. Um, do you suffer from FOMO, Jules? Well, I mean, I had a similar lottery-esque type experience in that when I worked for a sort of factory firm of conveyances, I think I joined in no in uh, July 2011 and I left in November 2012, I think. So I was there for almost 18 months. And uh, I very much, I, well, there are aspects of the job that drove me up the twist, mm. but I ran the twist even or up the bend or round the bend or however you want to phrase that. But I, uh, I, I had made some really good friends there and everyone there was very nice and got on very well. And a chap joined called Mark. And this is, there's some psychological depth to this, I mm. think, but bizarrely. He started a lottery syndicate oh. so a number of us joined and we used to jokingly nickname him money mark so money mark <laughs> rang the uh, th- th- there were a few beastie boys fans there those <laughs> most other people didn't get it but we used to joke about money mark <laughs> who couldn't have looked less like a beastie boy if he tried <laughs> bless him and money mark on the wills department used to run there used to run the the lottery syndicate and um and i, I said to someone what 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 possessed mark to do it i mean it's great obviously because we all used to have a standing order to a bank account that we all <laughs> had the, the details of it. it was very well organized mm. and someone said to me once when we were out drinking oh you know what it is don't you and i went no i don't and they said he was at school with a girl that won the lottery and he is absolutely convinced that lightning can strike twice oh, okay. and there was there was some i think very deep psychological i mean mark's mm. a lovely chap but there was some deep psychological thing behind it i think and so Basically, he, I left, but some, but I said, can I stay in the syndicate? And they said, yeah, of course you can. And I used to, some people had numbers and I just used to pick lucky dips. Mm. But my friend said, well, the point of leaving a firm is you're meant to be leaving the lottery <laughs> syndicate. And I said, but what if you win? Uh, exactly. And put it this way, the syndicate was eventually closed down because Mark has since left and set up by himself doing mm. wills. So the syndicate was shut down three months ago and the remaining money in the syndicate, which there wasn't, there was about 100 quid. I think was used to do scratch cards and I think some money was one which is going to be distributed but the funny thing was when they used to send the email around to everyone because it used to send this kind of regular round Mm. robin you watched as increasingly the email addresses on it became <laughs> personal addresses. So at first, everyone had the same address, their name at thecompany.com. Mm. And then gradually you get, you know, Julia <laughs> underscore Harris at hotmail.com, hotchick65 at gmail.com. Gradually, <laughs> these, these, you'd, you'd see these non-word. And in the end, the most recent one, someone said, there, someone who, uh, bless her, our lovely friend Susie, who's one of the last remaining people there, replied and put, there are so few of you here now. And I counted about five work emails <laughs> Address. So clearly everybody else had FOMO as well. Nobody wanted to leave. And we I used to, me and my, my friend Claire, who's since long since left and left the syndicate, said to me, God, it's like the hotel for California for you, isn't it? You can check out, but you can never leave the lottery syndicate. So in that sense, yes, I did have lottery-related FOMO. I don't tend to have FOMO so much nowadays. And the reason that I don't is that... I learned the lesson when I was at university during Freshers' Week that if you go to everything because you are afraid mm. that you're going to miss something, you're going to get really ill, and then you're going to miss everything, and actually not everything's that great anyway. And actually, since I became 
seriously ill about eight years ago with this fibromyalgia thing, mm. which, uh, you know, it flares every now and again, but mostly it's something I can live with and manage all right. Um, I get to the point where I just think uh, my FOMO is overridden now by actually just wanting to be comfortable and not wanting to feel ill and also not being able to be ill because then you can't do anything at all if you're ill. So I just, I tend to think, well, sometimes I miss stuff and it's a bit annoying. What does really tick me off actually, and I, I'm not going to name names, but mm. I do have some good friends that do this. It does annoy me. It's usually, how can I put this, you know, very dear friends of mine, mm. slightly soft men that kind of do this really. I don't know why. <laughs> Bless them. They're so sweet and I don't know why they do this. Mm. But if you, if I can't go, if you can't go to something, so quite often I don't go to things because I'm too tired. Mm. So, I, you know, I'm go to a gig. If I'm really bothered about it, then I'll go. But if it's something that I quite want to see, but I'm not that concerned about, I will, you know, I probably won't go Hmm. if I'm knackered. And I live at the top of the hill, so when I lived in, when I lived sort of on the seafront, it was easy to walk into town. Hmm. Now it's a little bit harder, which means that I'm a bit more selective over what I do. Or I I drive and I don't drink. But I have a couple of friends that will always, always say, I didn't see you last week. Oh, you really missed a good gig. And you feel like saying, I'm holding a comb in my hands and just repeating that makes you want to snap it in half. It really pees me off because it is, they are considerate people, yet they are weirdly so inconsiderate about this. And it's like, yes, maybe I wanted to go and couldn't because I was ill. But you saying that I really missed something, oh, that makes me feel so much better about the experience. Thanks, guys. So that does tick me off a bit so i feel like saying just because you have fomo doesn't mean you need to impose <laughs> it to me i mean for god's sake so so no i don't experience fomo it annoys me when other people imply that i should be experiencing fomo when i'm not occasionally i have you know little twinges when i see stuff on facebook and i think oh i wanted to go to that but um actually the wor- i'll tell you the worst kind of hmm. post fomo that i experienced <laughs> i was at university and there was a i think they were a chain called pononars there was one in Norwich, and I think there were a few dotted around major cities that were bizarrely Moroccan-themed bars, but they often had quite good DJs in them, and mm. they used to get some good ones on in Norwich. And my friend said, "Do you want to go and see Jazzy Jeff oh, at Norwich right. Poland?" I said, "Oh, all right then. That sounds like it could be quite good." And he said, "Oh, my friend Steph's going to go." And in the end, the both the two of us were either I think we were either too tired or too lazy or combinations of both so that we didn't want to go. And so we didn't go because it was the other end of town. It was a bit rainy, and so we just thought, "Oh, we won't go." And then my friend knocked on my door the next day. It was my housemate and walked in, and he he said, "Oh, so Steph went last night." Oh, okay. So how? <laughs> he said, "Well, the bad news is Jazzy Jeff cancelled because he was ill." Yeah. Oh, he said the. Father, he said the good news is Jazzy Jeff mm. cancelled because he was ill. And I said, well, I don't see how that's good news. Poor Jazzy Jeff. But anyway, and he said, yes, but there is bad news. And I said, what? And he said, he sent a dep instead and it was Ronnie Size. Ugh. And he went, oh, no, I really, oh. really would have wanted to see Ronnie Size. So so actually, yes, in that sense, I had reverse, I have sort of post FOMO mm. in that I, I didn't I didn't fear missing out the event I thought I was going to. But I did fear missing out the event that actually happened in the end. So mm. so I don't know. FOMO is a it's it's a strange thing. It takes many forms. Well, my worst addiction based on FOMO is just, it's just, this is just awful. It's social media and specifically Twitter. And I would, I would really like to give it up. I, I, I think, you know, I, the best thing for me would be. To- that I bought, how to break up with your phone. I'll yeah, send it to you. It's yeah. good. I, I'm trapped in a in a Twitter cycle. I follow 99 people, but I've got <laughs> it. I've got it in my mind. I am one of your red balloons, and I'm proud to be so. You are one of those 99 people, and I have. But I've got it in my mind. I have to see all of those 
99 people's tweets. So I can't just pop into Twitter like most normal people would do and just look at the latest handful of tweets and just go from there at the top of the list. No, I have to scroll back to the last time I looked. And the apps I use, which are Echo Phone for the phone and TweetDeck, they collude mm. They collude with, my, with mm. my FOMO in this because they automatically go back to the last tweet I viewed and then I have to catch up oh, no. on the tweets of the 99 people. And I haven't dare to keep check but i i really think this takes up possibly hours each day i really mean it, it, hours and if i wake up in the middle of the night i'll catch up on twitter as it means I'll, I'll have fewer tweets to catch up with in the morning and I, i'm seriously absolutely seriously considering hypnosis or something to try and break out from this so i'm the archetypal example of FOMO, fear of uh, missing that is out. Pr- that, I mm. do it's want terrible. to send you the book now. Mm. The, 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 this book that's, um, that I've been reading, that I've been very much enjoying, I'm just trying to look at what the lady's name is. That might be Catherine Price, but mm. I could have that wrong. It's called How to Break Up With Your Phone. And it's very interesting in that, yeah, her name is Catherine Price. Um, uh, Sally Hughes did a, a piece about it, which I read, and I thought, well, I'll get this. And what makes it so interesting is that it basically it doesn't, I mean, it's not unkind, but it doesn't hold back. And it, it basically talks about the ways in which phones are deliberately designed to be addictive mm. so actually i'm not entirely convinced it's your fault terence i think it's i think it's the fault of the kind of smartphone designers mm. and they talk about the way that instagram i'm a big instagram fan and mm. the um the notifications they sort of semi deliberately stagger them so you don't actually get them in real time they deliberately drip feed you with them so that you then end up going back to get the whole thing's do with dopamine rushes and the idea mm. that when you see notifications and i noticed that facebook being the beasters that they are um not only now do you get a little red kind of circle showing you've got a notification that's in the shape of a bell it now moves from side to side when you get a new one which also you know Mm. attracts your attention doesn't it we could talk about this for a long time so actually this is where Mm. you know smartphone producers i mean they have hundreds of people working on smartphones and smartphone apps whose job it is to make more people use it so of course they're going to make it sort of addictive and she makes the point in this book, and I think it's a very good one, that the the sort of the the, the big guys. I know it seems a bit rude mm. to speak here of the dead, but the bit that Steve Jobs mm. or is it Jobs or Jobs? Oh, I never I'm know. Never it's sure. Jobs. Sure. I think it's mm. Jobs and uh, Bill Gates and all the kind of and you know all the big sort of tech conglomerate type chaps all have very strict rules on what they allow their children to mm. use and and to what extent they allow their kids to use smartphones. What is it they know that we don't? Very good, very good point. And uh, I think perhaps I should follow the, so, so the stop, children's stop. guide. <laughs> stop, stop, you know, stop, mm. um, stop letting them manipulate you mm. into FOMO, Terrence. If you don't want to check your notifications, then don't, damn it. Indeed. Amazon want to get a foot in your door, literally. A big, scary, manipulative, mm. big tech conglomerate. That's next, after the Datsun.
sometimes when I pick records for this, I, I oh sorry tunes. I know it's sort of anti anti records. When I pick tunes, I always I'm not anti them. Well, no, I know you're anti me collecting them, but um, <laughs> when, it, when it comes to um, you're not anti, you just don't understand it. And mm. um, when it when it comes to picking songs for this podcast, mm. I sometimes I pick things that are themed, and we'll hear that later on. And you know, mm. sometimes I pick things that are clever, and sometimes I just pick tunes which I know are a bit dumb because I just really, really like them. And uh, I mean, the Datsuns are always going to be a poor man's ACDC, aren't they? But having said that, when I was a teenager and I first started university, I heard them on John Peel's show, and I just thought they were great. I just and I read about them in Enemy, Enemy and I just thought they were really good fun and I saw them on the Enemy tour that year and just really enjoyed them. I just thought they were silly but that they were great and that tune I actually first heard on um it got into John Peel's Festive 50 I think for 2002 mm, and oh it's great. I I really really love that. That is the Datsuns and In Love. I don't know much of their work, but I'm, I'm sure I've heard you play them on your radio show, and I really liked uh, that that track. Really Harmonic did. Generator is also good mm. as well. They they had some good singles. I have got Harmonic Generator on a seven inch, and I still considering that they haven't really sort of uh, haven't really endured, shall we say? I still play that, and usually if I play it, if I'm DJing or my or Letty, my DJ partner plays it, mm. someone will always come up to us and say, "I love this. I haven't heard this in years." So that so I think for people that remember them, or if people just hear them, they're just a likable band really and mm. they are from New Zealand which is of course the southern hemisphere is the home of metal so so you know that is nice I'm not anti-records in fact I can see my my vinyl uh, albums are still on display on shelves within my site here well, what it is it's it. it's the convenience that's what I miss I've said before I miss <laughs> the cardboard I miss the uh, tactile nature of records but for me it's just a personal choice it's just the convenience of one click Spotify bang I've got a track rather than I having see, to go through the see, uh, whereas you know rather than seeking dopamine rushes <laughs> terrible, I think you should be indulging yeah. in slow music consumption I think that would you make, make a good point faster. you make a good point this week the well-being of the uk's high streets was uh, dealt another blow mm. with, with the news that the tech and electronics store macklin's is to close and also the more sort of out of townish retailer toys r us is also going toys, into it toys r bust as my friend put it <laughs> yeah, it's good, is it? very good they're going into administration um as i've mentioned before my view is that although the traditional high street feels like a, a worthy idea conjuring up images of the traditional butcher baker candlestick maker and Julie at the, the record store. Um, yes, thank you for that. Yes. Uh, you know, I believe the reality is that tr- traditional high street is an outdated uh, concept. I mean, it's quite, it's, for me, it's quite simple. Who wants to trudge around from shop to shop looking for something when you can find it in an instant online? Mm-hmm. The point you were just making, again, the dopamine thing. But now, you may have seen those TV commercials for the advanced doorbell system called Ring, where when someone pushes your doorbell, you get instant video and raid, um, audio contact um, with the caller. Uh, no matter where you are, uh, the contact is made through your smartphone. This week, Ring was bought up by Amazon, and this brings amazon's hopes of getting into your house one step nearer by by using technology amazon want you to install a new door um answering service (laughs) a lock which crucially you install this lock with code numbers on it and you give amazon one-time access not actually into your house to be fair but allowing them to open the door and place your packages inside uh, and then the number changes and the, the, guy, the guy or the woman can't get in again. But by adding Ring to their portfolio, you'll now be able to watch the Amazon delivery person to ensure nothing untoward happens. Now, here comes the future, Jules. 
Will you be installing Amazon's door system and cheerfully watching as they deliver your avocados and PJ Harvey CDs? <laughs> there is more to me than that, but not much more, it has to be said. Um, I, I have worries around this. Um, I, I mean, I, I do very much. You know, everyone's always welcome in my house. I have a very much open door policy. Oh, Helps by the fact that I'm on the third floor of my building, so I do have some level of safety. You have to buzz to get into my flat. There was a lovely moment the other week where my Labour Party friends buzzed my doorbell so they could get in to leaflet my block. And fortunately, there was no video phone because I had just got out of the bath and to answer the answer the wall phone. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but um, I find it. The thing that slightly worries. So okay, so there were good there were good things about it in the sense that mm. you might say, okay, so if the high streets are are declining and there mm. is nowhere else to go, yeah. then obviously you will have to use Amazon. And for some people who are housebound, mm. um, either through physical illness or you know perhaps I have got a friend who's agoraphobic who finds going mm. out quite difficult sometimes, so that can be very useful, I think. So I think that's very helpful, and particularly my parents are. My dad particularly is ageing and Mm. they live on a hill in a rural village. So actually, they very much depend upon the Tesco delivery man mm. that sort of thing and they make good friends of their Tesco delivery mm. men they sort of give each other Christmas presents and things it's quite oh, sweet so um, so um, so for that side of things I think that is very useful but I find that it's, it's an irony that, that people that businesses like Amazon and sort of the big tech giants they are trying to tell us that we have more and more control over mm. our lives and our and our shopping. And what could give you more control than, you know, being able to click a button and say, I want that, click, good, it's coming to my house. Having said that, there is a there is a reverse side to that in that when you've got the high street, you know, I can you know, I can I can go to the high street when I want and I mean, I say when I want. I know there is the argument that you can order whenever online and that Mm. that shops are kind of open and closed. But, you know, I can choose to go down to the high street. Mm. And I have choice. If If I go into a shop and I don't like what they have... I can choose not to buy it. It's the, the high street, I have to work to their rules, but equally, I do have a certain level of agency, and I can move around shops, and you know, and I can I can choose what I want. I do worry that people like Amazon are moving into a market that they are going to gradually try and monopolise, mm. and it's all very well now being able to get whatever you want from Amazon, but what if Amazon is the only place you can get stuff? Mm. That's not age. That that's that's taking agency and control away from me. That's not you know, that that I I do feel like we're being lulled into a full sense of security without being a bit wake up sheeple i do think that we are being lulled into a full sense of security by these big giants who are very gradually and very insidiously taking control of things i mean it is uh, we laugh about the fact that my mum can buy cat food from amazon i mean mm. that is that is very entertaining but having said that what happens when Amazon is the only place you can buy mm. cat food from and then they gradually start ramping the price up you know i i i don't i i the thing I don't like about it is it feels disingenuous, if you see what I mean. It feels like, we're, again, there are parallels of Brexit and taking back control, aren't we? We're being told that we can take back control of things. But actually, there are there is still a relatively small group of people of int- or, or of interest, relevantly, who might not match our own interest, despite the fact that they say they do, who are, are gradually, who are still controlling things. And that actually, we, we might turn out to have less control than ever, rather than more. So I do... I do understand, and again, I think it goes back to instant gratification as well. Mm. I don't want to let go of the high street because actually, although I'm, I'm, you know, in the grand scheme of things, younger, and I wasn't alive for the Second World War, I wasn't alive for rationing, and 
I can see why if, if people were how you wouldn't want to go back there, how mm. miserable it was and how you wouldn't want to do that. Having said that, I quite I I think it's quite important that, you know, this idea of, of for example, I won't have credit cards because I was brought up along the lines of if you haven't got the money at the moment, mm. you can't have it yet. You know, you, you save up and then you've got the money and then you can buy it and then you, you're not you know beholden to anyone else. You're not kowtowing to having to pay a monthly payment. That is it. You are there. And I know not everyone's in that position. So I don't want to seem like I'm kind of, you know, oh, well, I used to have a card. So everyone should be able to afford it. I don't want to seem like I'm doing that. But, but equally, <laughs> I, I do find it... I, I do think that this instant gratification and us kind of blindly walking down this instant gratification path and thinking, oh, well, this is great because I can have what I want when I want it. I don't think that is a path that is going to lead to anything that is good ultimately in the long term. And I, I the idea of the high street going makes me sad. Also, because the idea all the time that, that you know, I'm sitting at home in my pyjamas ordering things online, I'm not walking down to my local shops and bumping into people that I haven't seen in ages because mm. I don't go out very much. So I do I hope that hope that there is a I, I think people will eventually because things work in cycles and i do think people will eventually come back to wanting to socialize again it's interesting we, we tease the hipsters rotten but everything that hipsters are embracing mm. is old formats so the idea that polaroid cameras and 35 millimeter cameras are, start, are starting to become fashionable again the fact that you know my beloved violin and to some extent tapes are starting to come back in people mm. are wanting to embrace physical things again and i wonder if the smartphone craze, I don't think, will be forever. And I, in doing this kind of, oh, we can come to your house and stuff, I wonder if the smart, well, I'm pretty sure that the smart tech giants are fly enough to work that out. And so in doing these things like, you know, notifications making them shiny and trying to constantly appeal to you, they do realise that there will be a limited shelf life and they're trying to cling on. I've, I've long held a theory that would mean we wouldn't need Amazon's rather 1984-ish idea of getting inside your house or inside your front door <laughs> and would also enable your dream of more social interaction. All we need to do is find in every street someone who is at home during the day could be unemployed, self-employed, mm-hmm. retired, looking after children, whatever, they're at home. And that person could be nominated the click-and-collect house for your street or apartment block um I, it's it's not walking down to the high street but it does lead to more interaction because let's say that amazon or ebay or whoever um pays them two pounds a parcel uh whether that's absorbed by the retailer the courier or the customer or all of them probably split between the three and then say between 6 p.m to 8 p.m every day that house is available for you to call with your id to pick up your parcels everybody wins uh, an income for someone who might need it safe delivery to a safe house as it were and no need for an amazon driver to open your front door so i think i should go on dragon's den or shark tank i don't with think that it's idea. a bad idea although interestingly hmm. it does put all the power in the hands of one person again Yes, that one person in the street. But, um, you see, the thing is, when, just before the age of the internet, I, I well remember uh, n- newspaper reports and occasional sort of television uh, pieces um, bewailing the fact that Tesco, at that time, was so dominant. Um, was it Terry Lewis? I can't remember. The, it was Terry Lewis. Was the, the, the man that took Martin over... Martin Lewis. 
um, oh no, sorry, the, I'm no, that's the that's yeah. the um, money, money guy. Yeah. Money guy. Um, took over as chief executive and absolutely revolutionised the thing. And uh, at one point. And I think it was around the sort of mid-90s. One in every four retail transactions in the UK was through Tesco. And again, mm. people sort of thought, oh, God, this is... One pound in every eight was spent in Tesco's fields at one point. There you go. There you go. So, you know, we go through these cycles. But in a sense, what you're saying, it's only a little bit diluted to this day because... Okay, you're saying, you know, what if Amazon becomes all-powerful? But when you think about it, we've only got three or four supermarkets that that provide us with much of our weekly needs. Very few, very few people go and do their big weekly shop in a tiny little store or go from butcher to baker to candlestick maker and record store. Most people either go to, what have we got, Sainsbury, Tesco, Waitro, Morrison's, Asda. So down here in the south, and there may be regional variations, that's probably about it. Some people go to Little and Aldi. But it's still a sort of a very limited... Yeah, and, and I don't think I don't think that's good either. No, I'm not that's saying right. I support yeah. that. I don't and actually I've just retweeted something this morning that was mm. very interesting that said it was about to do with village shops and I know they're not near, nearly as prevalent but not just village shops but I mean sort of local convenience stores and this person his name's James Goodson says remember when the snow's gone that your local village shops that you went to uh, get milks egg bread etc because you couldn't get to the supermarket will still be there providing a fantastic community service support your rural shops and actually i do think that is true and and i would i mm. i know that there are there are pros to supermarkets in that you know they are obviously considerably cheaper whether or not you know how ethically we get to that point is of course a big question but i i accept that you know there are lots of people for whom they are a godsend so so i do you know appreciate that but equally i don't agree with that either i would i would like there to be a more very a bigger variation of shops and particularly small businesses there's a greengrocers that's open relatively recently nearish to where i live and it has become extremely popular mm. and people are working very hard to use it lots of my friends are you know recommending it to each other putting it on facebook and they use paper bags only they don't use plastic and you know wouldn't it be nice if there was an upsurge um, to save you anybody uh, d- tweeting or getting in touch and saying, you fool, it was uh, Terry Leahy, not Terry Ah, Lewis. OK. Yeah. All right, then, fine. Uh, you know, I, I, I was going to say, yes, well done. I would, uh, you know, <laughs> delete that tweet halfway through if you're typing that. Music shows on television, do they have to be mm. old and grey? That's next after, with his daughter on backing vocals, Gary Newman. Back for nothing, then you 
Last week on the uh, the BBC's Vintage Music Show, the Old Grey Whistle Test uh, returned for a one-off special, and there were a, a couple of new acts uh, featured, but largely it was heritage artists. Um, and, but for me, the most exciting and energising moments came from Gary Newman, who performed mm. Our Friends Electric and this newer track with his 12-year-old daughter, Persia, on backing vocals. The splendid That's a great name. I think Persia. it's a lovely name mm. for a little girl. That's great. Splendid. Gary Newman and My Name is Ruin. And uh, there's also an excellent video for the track on on YouTube. Um, Yes, it was good fun. It was last Friday uh, for three hours on BBC Four, dedicated to archived clips, interviews and live performances, all based around... 
the format of the old grey whistle test. Uh, some interviewees were more interesting than others, and some of the live studio music were, was quite engaging, some less so. Uh, but it was skill, skillfully held together by the, by the very likeable Bob Harris. Now, what struck me is that even after decades now of music on television, and I, I'm excluding MTV and videos, but I'm talking about showing uh, bands performing, we yeah. still haven't found a better format than someone introducing the act and then maybe three cameras pan around to try and replicate a live experience. And the BBC in recent years has not generated a very good track record with music on its TV channels. It's, it's coverage of music festivals. We're technically able, but it's often trampled on by underprepared and smug presenters. And um, whilst the presentation of vintage clips, it, 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 you know, it, that's often marred by trite, smart aleck and sometimes inaccurate subtitles. So, Jules... Is there a way forward, a new way to present music on television that doesn't pull all the life out of the experience? Well, I would like that. I would like that very much. Mm. I mean, the only regular music programme on TV at the moment is later with Jules Holland. Mm. And I do find that to be a rather moribund experience now, I must admit. Particularly when you compare and contrast The Tube with him and and Paulie Yates on it, which Mm. was a really exciting programme in the 80s. Um, They, um, you know, that, that was very energetic and very good, I think. Um, interestingly, this old, this old grey whistle test thing, the revival mm. of it, um, there was a bit of sort of chatter online about the fact that it was presented by Whispering Bob mm. Harris and it wasn't presented. There was no mention of Annie Nightingale, or at least she was not co-presenting with him. Mm. And she tweeted, old grey whistle test tonight. I requested, she's put various numbers, by the way, mm. instead of words, because of the even for the 280 character format, this is quite long, but it's worth reading, I think. Mm. Old grey whistle test tonight. I requested to co-present with Whispering Bob. This was turned down for five years as solo anchor i brought in punk new wave and electronic acts who wish not to appear with previous presenter how much of that music will be represented tonight lots i hope thanks for asking kiss at bbc4 9 p.m because she was a number of people were saying where is annie nightingale because she was you know she presented it for five years and it frustrates me that women are written out of history and it happens more often than not even if they were in history in the first place which doesn't well the history we 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 see does not appear to be that option often but having said that the thing that made post-punk for me far more interesting than punk and i know obviously you you were there during punk but you Mm. know as a as a kind of someone that's had to look back on it i find post-punk to be endlessly more interesting because there were far more women involved when Mm. i did a post-punk special recently on the radio i was you know tripping if it was punk i would have really have had to have dug a bit but for for post-punk loads loads of women just everywhere that you could pick and play and Mm. so i do find history to be a bit revisionist and I'm a huge fan of BBC of BBC Four, as I think regular listeners know. There's not a lot I don't I watch that isn't on BBC Two or BBC Four by and large. Mm. And but I do find their kind of rock nerd nights on a Friday night, which mm. I often watch with my dad if I'm around there, to be very stale and and like you say, very much you know smart aleck captions mm. on stuff like Top of the Pops too, or you know endless talking heads that seem to be old white dudes. Um, they when they did the indie history one recently they managed to find two women in three programs or something ridiculous like that and i i find that aspect of it really frustrating i don't know if that's just because it's a kind of a looking back type thing but even jules holland which is a, meant to be a current music program i i find it to be very 
I find it to be very stale and very, very uninteresting. I find that they don't book particularly exciting acts anymore. It does feel like it's gone past its best. It, it doesn't feel like the same program that once discovered Portishead by accident in the in the mid nineties. They weren't signed when they went on Jules Holland. The producer heard them playing in a bar around the studio, around the corner from the studio, and went, "Oh, they sound good. We'll have them." And then, of mm. course, they were they admittedly they were. Uh, well, they they might have been signed, but they might not have released mm. anything. I can't remember. But anyway, it all blew up very quickly after that for them. It doesn't feel like this show could kind of do that anymore. Um, so I agree with you. I would. I think there is a way in which music can be presented excitingly. And I know that radio is a different medium, mm. but I very much found myself enjoying some shows on Radio One Extra recently. Not necessarily mm. my type of music, but there's a a, a lady called Monkey. Right. who does spelt m-o-n-k-i i think i've hmm. got over the fact that i get annoyed when people don't spell things properly <laughs> and she does a, she was doing a late night show on a monday i think but um it's it's on at some point and i really like her as a presenter she plays stuff that's quite interesting even if it's not my sort of thing she's clearly really passionate about playing it and really into it and um she really likes it she really really likes it and and she has a very unpretentious way of presenting and she has a um someone asked me to describe her accent the other day and it's not rp but it's it's um i described it rather it it sounds unflattering and i don't mean it to be as london estate it's a south london estate accent and it's great and so and i just think god if someone like her was on tv and the format wasn't stilted. So they did six music, did a few TV type things recently, but it was very much here is a band in this lit studio with no audience just performing. And it was a bit, you know, I would, I would like to see something like the word in the early nineties mm. when bands used to go on the word and it was really risky and late night and L7 playing with their pants down and the credits rolling over Nirvana and Joe Wiley had to be smuggled out of the building in a, in a car with a blanket over, you know, stuff like that. That's, that's really, or even TFI Friday, my friend Davidson, the other day he was at the last ever live one where Sean Ryder effed his way through pretty vacant. And then they had to, they wouldn't let them do it live anymore. I, just i just feel like there isn't that level of risk and that when we when it always seems to be looking backwards rather than forwards music mm. television and it's done in quite a a self-congratulatory way and quite a limited way as well it's the same he- talking heads all the time and they're never that ethnically diverse and never that gender diverse there could be many more interesting stories being told in a more interesting way i think mm. i think the the thing with um the the tube one felt because it was sort of semi live i think it was on a on a short delay any yeah. anything could happen absolutely and, and it often did and, and often did and it, there was this sort of mixture of poetry comedy in with the music and sometimes it wasn't very good but when it was good it was explosive and that's the thing you're not going to get with these safe bbc4 shows is that they're mm-hmm. you know they, 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 they are safe by nature and nothing unexpected is going to happen nothing's going to really knock you off your seat and um Although I I I rather, I rather like Bob Harris, I think he's a very pleasant man. Um, the, yeah, no, this, he seems very nice. This, I have no issue with him. Exactly. This special, though, um, it was notable for you know having an awful lot of people on it. That of course it was looking back on the old Goodwill but an awful lot of people people on it whose day had long gone, and also of course the the lack of uh, ethnic diversity. We had Joan Armour trading on the sofa being interviewed yeah but that that was that you know that was more or less 
it. And the then fact she... that you can that you can pick her I, out. I know. It doesn't say good things, does it? Really. Which is why I refer to sort of old grey white faces. Really. I'm... Well, that's that's what it is, isn't yeah. it? It's what it I'm, says on the tin. I'm quite happy to simply see if they can't do anything else. If there isn't a more exciting format, I'm quite happy to simply see the acts. I don't need a presenter. That, that, that they always seem to intrude for me. Like I find mm-hmm. Jules very very intrusive on later. Um, and often inaccurate as well. I mean, well, it, it's, exactly. it's very slapdash. I remember um, when PJ Harvey was uh, promoting White Fork, so this would have been about 10 years ago, mm. 10 or 11 years ago, and I remember they had her, she was in Victorian garb at that point, so they did the bit at the beginning where he goes, we've got this person and that person, and they kind of yeah. flick around the studio in the circle and the camera follows him round. And he's and then he's, <laughs> you, they see, you see PJ Harvey sat at the piano, um, and he goes, oh, we've got Somerset's finest, PJ Harvey! And as everyone cheers there is quite a quiet but noticeable voice in the background at which point jules says dorset dorset oh, fine is <laughs> so you have said it be able to got actually i'm from dorset um so so yeah i do find it to be a bit um well put it this way and i know that i keep you know as someone said yeah they must you insist on dragging feminism into everything to which i replied feminism is everything everything mm. is feminism if if, if jules holland and there was a good point piece written the other day about, I think it was Gary Young, about um, Boris Johnson. And basically saying if Boris Johnson mm, was a black woman, yes, I saw he that. would not be here. And and I do feel that if Jules Holland was even a white woman, mm. we would be hearing a lot more about how he gets things wrong all the time. And with regard to the, the, the witty captions, um, I, I just want one on-screen caption, just tell me who the band are and the title of the songs, because the thing is, I think... the album where I can get it, if I really like it. Absolutely. Music television is run by people who still think it's 1980, and because I can... Actually, I think of that interested in music and actually mm. liking music is not the same as being interested in music and there are people who like what they like which is you know a bit of everything really mm. i know i sound like nick hornby in high fidelity but still mm. i do fear people that kind of can't be bothered to decide what music they like i don't i you know i, I have an issue with that if they're claiming to be you know interested in music and if you're interested in music to me you want to discover new things you want to be surprised you want to hear mm. new things and the people that write those captions are the kind of people that will sneer at stuff they've never heard before simply because they've never heard it absolutely you see now what, my point is that if something um, comes comes up on one of these shows and it's say it's the Datsuns playing in love who we heard yes. earlier right and I don't know much about them and the caption just comes up Datsuns in love from their album their debut and whatever yes. exactly yeah. most people have got the guile these days to reach out for their smartphone, their tablet, whatever, and just say, "Oh, you know, wonder where where the, where that band are from, or or um, where I can get that, or is it on Spotify or YouTube or whatever?" You don't need funny captions saying the Datsuns weren't named after a motor car; they come mm. from New Zealand. You know, you don't need all that. No, it's a distraction. And, and- Absolutely. And I think you make a really good point when you say they still think it's 1980. Mm. You know, this might have flown 20 years ago. I've watched Top of the Pops 2 for years and years, and I used to find those captions quite interesting. Mm. But And I I don't... Actually, occasionally they come up with facts rather than, you know, lols, Mm. and the facts are sometimes quite interesting. But like you say, you know, we didn't have the internet then, and we do now. Mm. You know, if you're going to come up with a fact 
do something that is really obscure or really interesting or mm. really kind of chastening or really pulls you up short. You know, don't, don't you know, have some pointless lol. Realise that because I can look up anything I want, you, you know, you're on, it's up to you to be really interesting because otherwise I could, I could just go on YouTube. Why do I have to watch your program when I can just go on YouTube and find videos? And YouTube, if I watch a video on YouTube, will say, oh, if you like this, mm. you might also like this. And you think, oh, okay, then I'll watch that. So you almost feel like saying to TV presenters, you know, TV producers and mm. makers of TV movie programming, you are, you know, you're very much on your last legs at the moment because of YouTube that has really, I mean, I know we've talked previously about some of the problems we have with YouTube, but, you know, they've changed the game. I can look up most things that I want on YouTube. So if if I'm having to watch what you're telling me I'm going to watch, I don't want your stupid lols. You know, just present it to me in a really interesting way. And the worst of it is, is if, if a TV company thought, oh, yeah, OK, well, we'll listen to, to what those two have said and we're going to um, really revolutionise this and, and present it in a different way. The first thing they do is go out and sign up Zoella to present it. And, you know, <laughs> that's not yes, what we're she's, saying. She's, she's something of a kind of a, a bastion of this mm. podcast, isn't she, Zoella? You may not be presenting any music shows on television this week. And I, it's their loss, frankly, it, but yes, that's true. More fool them. But where might, where oh where might we find you this week? Well, we are recording this at, um, well, between the hours of 11 and 12 on Saturday the 3rd of March. Is it the 3rd of March? It is the 3rd of March. March. It is the 3rd of March. It's Mm -hmm. nice to get it right for once. Mm -hmm. Um, So I am at the uh, Royal Standard. nearly called it the Evening Standard thing, which is completely (laughs) wrong. The Royals don't turn up at the Evening Standard. I won't be there. And you might have to see George Osborne as well. Um, I'm at the Royal Standard in Hastings. My friend Aid, who um, is part of a sound system called, brilliantly, the Balearic Assassins of Love, um, (laughs) it's his 50th birthday. And so there are 24 of us appearing in 12 and a half hours doing little half an hour sets at at his birthday party. So I'm there from two until half two. And then I'm at the Dragon Bar in Hastings this evening on George Street from eight until 11. I am worried that no one is going to come because it's still quite snowy here. So mm-hmm. if you happen to be in the local area, do come in and say hello. <laughs> and I might give you one of my discounted drinks tokens. And uh, I'll be there'll be no Saturday social tonight. It's the Saturday off. But I will be back with Indie Wonderland next Wednesday from eight until 10 p.m. And dear God, I hope hope it doesn't snow again oh, and yes. so but the the indie the indie winter wonderland which i'm hoping to pop on mixed crowds shortly mm. will, will be very much a one-off that's the aim anyway thanks to you for listening and uh thanks mm, to, and yes thanks to you also yes and thanks to up in the very frozen north uh executive producer rona now a really lovely track now uh, to place out jules uh, perhaps reflective of the weather conditions this week Yes, and I, like, I've just kind of shoehorned in a reference to the mm. fact that I played all cold winter ice uh, snow themed tunes mm. on my show this week, and this was my favourite thing that I played. I hadn't listened to it for ages. I, I, Laura Marlin's one of those people. Why don't I do the things that I really like more often, Terence? Why don't I actually <laughs> remind myself of what I really enjoy, which is listening to Laura Marlin? You're too and- busy trudging around the high street. Absolutely, trying to look for a Maplins, which mm. is now shut. Mm. So um, th- uh, this is from her album. The album's called A Creature I Don't Know, but um, I bought the expanded version when it came out, partly because it had a live CD that was free with it, which was um, live from York Minster, and it's, a, mm. it's wonderful. It, I mean, I'm not usually a huge fan of live albums, but this is great, and... Um, this, um, the, so the version on that is particularly good. I'm not sure which version we're playing here, whether it's the recorded version or the live version. Not the is live one. The 
Yeah, they're both amazing though and i just i love this song and every time it snows i always think of this so as it's been appropriate in our country this week this is goodbye laura marling and goodbye england covered in snow so smart then in your jacket and coat my softest red scarf warming your throat winter was on us at the end of my nose and I never love England more But a friend of mine says it's good to hear that you believe in love Even if said in fear, well I'll hold you there brother And sit you straight, I only believe True love is frail and willing to break I will come back here Bring me back when I'm old I want you late Forever in the cold I might be cold But I'm just skin and bones And I never love God knows why And I bet you that he cracked a smile And I'm clearing all the crap out of my room Trying desperately to figure out what it is that makes me blue And I wrote an epic letter to you And it's 22 pages front and back But it's too good to be used And I tried to be a girl who likes to be used I'm too good for that There's a mind under this hat and I Called them all and told them I've got to move. I'm out, my It's too hard. I'm on my own. It's too hard. have been listening to a DACA Media Production.